Texas. She lives in El Monte, but she was baptized visiting a friend. The power of God got a hold of her. She decided she needed to be baptized in Jesus' name. And guess what? For Mother's Day, she's brought her mom, and her mom wants to be baptized in Jesus' name today. Hallelujah. We're going to do that at the end of the service. How beautiful. What a wonderful Mother's Day. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 1. This is a mother we're going to read about. We don't read her name. I'll tell you what her name was. Her name was Jochebed. But let's read about her. And there went a man out of the house of Levi and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. And the woman, this is Jochebed, conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. When she could no longer hide him, she took him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she went, sent her maid to fetch it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews children then said his sister to pharaoh's daughter shall i go and call to thee a nurse of the hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee and pharaoh's daughter said to her go and the maid went and called the child's mother moses mother jochebed and pharaoh's daughter said unto her take this child away and nurse it for me and i will give thee thy wages and the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, the great chapter of faith in the Bible. We see this story referred to again. It says in verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. As I read this story and this Hebrews reference to the story of Moses, I come to a realization, and that is Moses' mother Jochebed ruined her kid. He could have had a great life with the Egyptians. He could have lived in finery as a prince. But she ruined her kid from ever being a good Egyptian. I've got an odd title today. But it's a title that uh, expresses my heart. And it's a how-to title. Anybody interested in how to, how to earn $1,000 in a week. How to do this and do that. Okay, I'm going to teach you today how to ruin your kid. 
how to ruin your kid. And we're going to use Jochebed, this great mother of Scripture, as an example. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your goodness and mercy and blessings to us. We thank you, Lord God, that you have never left us. You've never forsaken us, but you've been with us. And your word promises that you will continue to be with us all the way to the end. Lord, I stand here today a product of parents that were willing to make a stand and to train me and teach me in the ways of the Lord. God, I'm a product today, Lord God, of prayers of a mother, prayers of a father, prayers of a grandmother, prayers of a great-grandmother. And I'm thankful today, Lord Jesus, for these precious people who established a legacy in my life for the future. And Lord, I pray today for every mother that's in the house, every father that's in the house, particularly those with young children or those about to have children. I pray, Lord God, that you would let the word find a lodging place in their heart today. And as we honor mothers, let us take uh, commendation and direction. Let us take recommendations from your word today so that in the future, Lord God, we can establish a legacy in our children. Hallelujah. That will benefit and bless the kingdom of heaven. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated in those comfortable, plush chairs. The story that we read to you in the book of Exodus is a very interesting story in the Word of God. As many of you know, the children of Israel, God's chosen people, a type in the Old Testament of the church, were in bondage. They were living in Egypt. They were not Egyptians, but they were living in Egypt for some 400 years. And during this time, the Pharaoh of Egypt discovered that there was such a great blessing upon the Hebrew people, and they were growing and being blessed and expanding, that he became fearful of them and said, let's put a stop to their growth and expansion. His remedy for their growth was rather harsh because he said, let's take every male child that is born of the Hebrews and let's toss him into the river. Now Moses' mother, Jochebed, when he was born, she saw that he was a good child, handsome, attractive, aggressive. And she said, I don't care that the king has said, I must kill this child. I'm going to hide him. And she hid this baby, as the scripture said, in an ark in the bulrushes or the flags there at the river's edge. And by some, many would call it coincidence, we would call it divine provision. Pharaoh's daughter was out there enjoying time in the water. She saw the ark, became curious, opened it, saw the child, fell in love with it, said, this is a Hebrew child. Moses' sister Miriam, who had been watching from the side of the river, said, came, emerged and revealed herself, said, would you like somebody to nurse this child? And uh, Pharaoh's daughter said, that's a good idea. Go get somebody. Miriam goes back and gets Moses' mother, Jochebed, who no doubt is back at the house praying for the safety of her child and says, come out here. Something really crazy's happened. And so uh, she comes out and there she's introduced to Pharaoh's daughter. This is like meeting Chelsea Clinton or something, you know? And uh, uh, so, uh, or, or, or uh, one of the Bush's daughters. And so they're introduced, and uh, she says, uh, would you be willing to take care of this child for me until he is weaned, until he's 
five, six, seven years old, and then bring him to live with me in the palace. And she said, by the way, I'll pay you for your work. And so this Hebrew mother, who could have been sitting and crying by the river at the loss of her beautiful child that was thrown into the river by Pharaoh's command, instead she took the baby in her arms and went home to raise this child and was getting paid for her effort. Isn't that how God works sometimes? He's fascinating and amazing. Praise the Lord. See, here's the important typology of Scripture that many people don't understand, but I'm sure many of you do. And that is, when you read something in the Old Testament, obviously there's an incredible narrative and a great story, and everybody's like, wow, this is a cool story, check it out. But there is a deeper meaning that relates to us in 2008. Whenever you look at the Old Testament, there's a story that relates to the church. What do you say? The church. See, because the Hebrew people were God's chosen people. They had been called by God. They were in covenant with God. God said, if you will obey me and have the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision in your foreflesh, and, and, and obey all of my commandments, then I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to favor you. You're my people. Now, here's the deal. When, since you're my people, you're not going to be like everybody else. Your lifestyle is going to be different. Your choices are going to be different. Uh, the way you live is going to be profoundly different than the rest of the world because you're my people. You have my law. You understand what makes me happy and what I don't like. And your desire, your heartbeat is to please me. Whereas the rest of the world, they don't care what God thinks. But the Hebrew people said, we're in covenant with God and we do care what God has to say. And we're going to live our lives according to what God has to say. And at this point in Scripture, we have a very interesting thing because we have the Hebrew people, which is symbolic of the church, living in Egypt, which is a type of the world. The church living in the world, being in the world, but not of the world, being among the world, but not a part of the world. And here is this unique dichotomy of people who are people of God, serving God, submitted to God, living in a world that does not understand it. But the concept is that they are separate and distinct and unique. See, God said, you are my people and I want you to be a holy people. Everybody say, holy. What's the word holy? The word holy means set apart. For God's purpose. Did you know that? The word holy means set apart for God's purpose. See, for instance, there were uh, pieces of furniture in the tabernacle in the Old Testament that were called holy. There were garments that the priest would wear that were called holy vestments. Now, were they holy because they had some kind of supernatural power? Or were they holy because the moths got in there and bit holes in them? The reason they were referred to as holy is not because they had some kind of supernatural power to them, but because they were regular garments that had been set apart for a holy purpose, for a holy use. And so you didn't wear the priest's vestments when you were playing flag football. And you didn't wear the priest's vestment when you were playing pickup basketball because they were set apart for when you ministered in the tabernacle. They were holy. They were set apart 
for God's purpose and for God's use. God says in the midst of this world, Israel, I have a people that are special to me and I'm going to use them to show forth my greatness. I'm going to use them to reveal who I am to the rest of the world. But the only way I can use them in the way that I want to use them is you've got to be set apart for a special purpose. And so God's people in the Old Testament were holy, not that they were perfect, but that they were set apart from the rest of the world for a special purpose, a special calling. And so they didn't go all the places the rest of the world went. They didn't do all the things that the rest of the world did. They didn't look like the rest of the world or act like the rest of the world because they were set apart for God's purpose. So that's the story. Here is the Hebrew people who have a whole unique set of religious practices, a whole unique set of lifestyle choices, living in the midst of Egypt uh, who are very, very fleshly and uh, oriented to whatever pleases them and pleasure-focused. And here's God's people in the midst of them. You say, now what is all that? that? That's great, Pastor Brown, but what's the point of it all? The point of it is, in 2008, the principle still exists because Jesus, when he came to the earth, said, I am going to build a church. Everybody say church. This was the first time in the Bible the word church had ever been used. Did you know that? The Old Testament, the word church is never used until Jesus says, I came here and what I'm going to do is I'm going to build a church that hell, Satan, all of his evil forces cannot Stop. It's going to be a church that's going to be more powerful and invasive and, and uh, uh, intense uh, than anything that this world has to offer. But I want you to notice, this is the first time this word church had ever been used. Guess what the word church means? The church simply means ones who have been called out. Ones who have been called out. Let me tell you what the true church is. The true church is counterculture to the rest of the world. The true church does not march to the beat of the rest of the world. The true church is not in sync with the rest of the world. Because the true church has been called out. And the true church is going to have a completely separate set of marching orders. See, we don't get our marching orders from what Madison Avenue or advertisers tell us to do. Or what television or Hollywood tells us to do. You know, the rest of the world takes their style cues. And they take all of their cues as to what's acceptable and what's uh, acceptable by way of sexuality. And what's acceptable by way of behavior and conduct from whatever is happening in the greater scope of the world but the true church is unique and distinct and different because we don't take our marching orders from whatever's cool at the moment or whatever is hip at the moment or whatever is acceptable in the world it is the word of God and the word of God alone which is his prescription for life that is full and life that is abundant and life that is rewarding the true church is a church that is called out. The true church is a church that is separate from the world. And I see a trend in the world today. It's a trend to try to make churches that are just like the world. Exactly like the world. Nothing different. Nothing unique. Nothing distinct. Let me give you a promise there. Those churches may grow. 
They may flourish. They may have a lot of property. They may uh, have a lot of great musicians, a lot of great things. But God's favor will only stay upon a church that understands the oldest and most important Bible doctrine in Scripture is the fact that God's people are separate. God's people are called out from the world. That doesn't mean we keep our nose in the air. That doesn't mean we walk around arrogant looking down on people. All it means is that there's an understanding in this that there is the uh, authority for my life. It is the Word of God. It is not what anybody else says. It is not what's acceptable in the world. See, because if I let the world opinion determine what I'm going to believe, I'm going to get into trouble. Amen? Because I've watched, you know, I don't look that old, but I'm, I'm 36. I, the mom said you're grounded until you're 36. I'm 35. I'll be 36 in two months. I won't be grounded anymore. But in my life, I have seen public opinion go Whoa! on human sexuality, on what's acceptable. Amen? You've been living the same world I'm in? So if, our, if we're going to let just the atmosphere of Egypt determine what we're going to do and what our mindset and mentality and approach to life's going to be, we don't have an anchor. We're just kind of letting whatever the world tells us to do. And let me tell you, there's an agenda behind what the world is promoting. It's a satanic agenda. Amen? And the only way we can stay in sync with what God wants us to do is we've got to understand that the Word of God is our authority. Amen? The Word of God is our authority in our life. And in the midst of a world that mocks righteousness, in the midst of a world that mocks modesty and purity and holiness and a pursuit of godliness, we can continue to stand up as a beacon in this world and say there is a church. There is a group that's favored of God. There is a group that's connected to the power source there is a group hallelujah that's choosing to do what the word of god says so moses 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 back to our story is a child who was born as a hebrew a called out one in the midst of egypt a decadent worldly secular pleasure seeking with all the material options available here's the hebrew people bedouin in style humble here's the egyptian opulence kind of reminds me kind of reminds me of hollywood of the day when you go down all the glitz and glamour and all the uh, all the all the uh, uh uh fakery and fake body parts and all this that you see in in uh all the uh, shine and glitter and everything and wow look at this look at the cars and the mansions and all this and here we're just living a simple life serving God. And sometimes there's a temptation of people to say, why am I living like this when perhaps maybe I could go out there and enjoy the pleasure of this world. But the Bible says that something was put in Moses and he was ruined. Because despite the fact he had every opportunity to be an Egyptian, he was ruined from ever being a good Egyptian. See, because his young, impressionable years were spent with his Hebrew parents. Moms and dads, listen to me right now. The time that you have with your little children is so important. The impressions that you make on them are very, very significant. Can I get an amen? Even when they're little, 
two, three, four, five, six years of age. Because this young Moses, who ended up being raised in a palace in Egypt, dressing and looking like the Egyptians, acting and eating like the Egyptians, doing all the things that the Egyptians had done, before that, in his formative years, his attitudes, his values, and his convictions were set by time with his Hebrew natural mother and father. I can just picture, this is just my imagination going wild, but I can picture as a little child, Moses is being led by the hand through the streets of Egypt. Look at all the beauty. Look at all this, Moses. I can almost hear his mother kneel down or stoop down and whisper to him, Moses, it's your people that built these streets. It's your people that worked to build these streets. And as he stood in awe before the great pyramids of Egypt and the great monuments, he was reminded again, it was the hands and the backs of your brothers that were sacrificed uh, so that that monument could stand there. And uh, I imagine as a child, he sat and listened in wonder to the stories of his forefathers, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, as uh, the children of Israel have been commanded to teach uh, the principles to their children when they're young. He heard about how God had promised uh, to make of them a great nation. And Moses, as even a child, must have been stirred with pride and patriotism for his people. I can imagine as Moses sits by, quietly listening, as his parents are sobbing and praying to God, saying, God, deliver us from the task." Master, deliver us uh, from the bondage of Egypt. And something as a, as a child at a very young age was set on fire in this young heart. As he was a child one day, he must have realized, wonder why there are no boys my age around to play with in the neighborhood. He had to ask the question, why? Why no boys? Why there's no one else to play with? What happened? No doubt the bitter tears cascaded down his face as he heard the harshness of his father's answer and it echoed in his mind that his peers were slain by Pharaoh because of his jealousy. And as Moses was finally led to the palace to become the grandson of Pharaoh, he was still a Hebrew because of what happened when he was a child. His parents had spent those impressionable years well. They had raised their son a Hebrew. And in the process, they destroyed the chances of him ever being a good Egyptian. (laughs) They ruined his chances of ever being a good Egyptian. And as Moses grew older, The crack of the whip on the backs of the slaves did not amuse him like it did the other Egyptians. The rolling hills of wheat, the beautiful vineyards did not bring pride in Moses as it did to the other Egyptians. As he saw the injustices and the atrocities that were committed against the Hebrews, they did not go unnoticed by Moses as it did to the other Egyptians. Because all the Underneath all the fine Egyptian clothes, the jewels, and all the look of the Egyptian, Moses was still a Hebrew. Amen? See, there's an old saying. Listen to this saying. Write it down. It says simply, as a twig is bent, so grows the tree. 
As a twig is bent, so grows the tree. When it's young and impressionable and pliable, whatever direction you set to it, that's where the strong, that's where the stability, that's where the growth of the tree will go eventually. And it will grow in the direction that it was bent when it was yet a twig. And I believe personally, I believe that Jochebed, the mother of Moses, and Moses' father put their bent into their son while he was impressionable so that Moses lived his life as Egyptian royalty, but in his heart... There was still the heart of a Hebrew boy. Listen to what I'm saying today. One psychologist said, give me the first six years of a child's life. That's all I need. And I don't care what you do with the rest. Let me make an impression on their heart. Let me set direction for their life. And that's all that I need. Let me tell you, parents, today, mothers, you have an important responsibility. You have an important place in this world today. As has been said, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And you set the destiny not just for your child, but you set the destiny for your child's children. You set the destiny for those that your child will influence. You have an opportunity to send the tree growing in whatever direction that you see fit to send it. Hey, God has given us the responsibility. He has given us the direction. He told those Hebrew parents, I want you to say these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And I want you to teach them to your children while they're sitting at breakfast. I want you to talk to them about it while you're taking them to school. When you pick them up, I want you to remind them that there's only one Lord. There's one God. His name is Jehovah. I want you to put it into them. And if you're a child of God and you have children, it's your responsibility to put godliness and righteousness into the heart of that young person. I heard something that blew my mind the other day, several months ago during the political season. I'm not going to say the name of the candidate. I don't want to get political. There was one candidate running for president. He's no longer running. He was asked, If your first grade child was introduced in his classroom to the viability of alternate lifestyle and same-sex marriage, would you have a problem with that? He thought for a minute. Well, it's kind of young. But now that I think about it, no, I wouldn't have a problem with that. He said, here's what he said, here's what blew my mind talked about his older children he said i want my children to choose their own value he said while i may have a problem with same-sex marriage being acceptable in our society i don't want to mandate the values of my children i want them to have an openness to be able to choose for themselves what they value and what they think is right or wrong let me tell you something right now If you're a Christian, you need to do away with that way of thinking. Because God has commissioned and commanded us to put some values in our kids. Because if we don't, the world will. And I promise you, you won't be happy with the values that the world puts in your children. You have a right and a responsibility, amen, to put inside of them what you believe based on the Word of God is right or wrong. Amen? First six years first six years of a child's life. Exodus 2 and verse 11 says, It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown 
that he went out unto his brethren. He went out to where the Hebrews were and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, something that happened every day many, many times. One of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. See, the problem is that no amount of finery, no amount of education could undo what had been accomplished by Moses' parents. Moses, if you just kind of look away, you can be a successful Egyptian. Moses, if you just kind of look away, you can stay one of Pharaoh's sons. Moses, if you just kind of ignore what's happening over there, the injustice, the beating of one of your brethren by an Egyptian taskmaster, if you can just look away, see, you can be a good Egyptian, you know. You can still have all the finest of clothes and the finest of women. You can have anything that you want in the household of the king, of the Pharaoh. Someday you'll have power and position and prominence if you will just look away. But what his parents did in the first six years ruined him from ever being a good Egyptian. I hope you get the point of my message. I think it was a good ruination. And I think I'm thankful that my parents ruined me. And I'm sure going to make sure that I ruin my kids. That they never fit into this world. And they never be a citizen of this world. Because God has said we are citizens of a different people. A different nation. It's called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. Moses had reached a point where he had to make his own decision. Moses had never been mistreated that we read about as an Egyptian. He was coddled, he was cradled, he was catered to, but his parents had ruined his chances of being a good Egyptian. Come on, moms and dads. Come on, moms and dads. You've got to make a determination if you want to ruin your kids. I could say, here's how to ruin your kids. Stick them in front of a TV all day. Feed them junk food. Give them everything they want. That's how you just ruin them, just plain ruin them. But what I'm talking about is ruining them from ever being a part of this world. Amen? And you have to be intentional in order to accomplish this. See, the deal is we're living in Egypt today. We live in a culture that does not reflect the Word of God. Amen? Am I telling you the truth? Come on, you living in the same place I'm living in? But the good news is that we don't have to raise our children to be Egyptians. Hallelujah. You can take these few precious years that you have before they're pushed out into the world and you can lead them to the cross of Calvary and you can lead them to a life of righteousness. You can put some things in them that nobody can take out of them. You can give them a holy patriotism for the word of God and for the church of the living God. And in the process, what you will do is you will ruin them to the things of this world so that no matter where they go, they will feel, they will never feel like they're truly a part of this world. I'm in this world. I'm living in this world. But I, I don't feel a part of this world. There's something different. Uh, the things that make this world excited, they don't excite me. The things that thrill this world, they don't thrill me. Because I'm a citizen of a different nation. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. If you believe that, clap your hands. Oh yeah, there was a time when... When Moses looked like an Egyptian and did all the things that Egyptians did, no, long, no doubt God involved a lot of their hedonistic pursuits. Uh, but, but, but your kids will have too much word in their heart and too much example in their life to enjoy it even when they're in the midst of it. Because you ruined them. 
kind of a parent are you ruining your kid? My mom ruined me. I will never fit in in a bar. She ruined me. You can go into a rave and everybody's dancing and throwing down. I feel stupid. I got to say, what deal here? I don't fit in here. My mom will ruin me. I'll never fit in in a place like that. Uh, Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. Drunken stupor, people stumbling around, hooting and hollering. Oh, this is great fun. And I'm looking at them. How miserable are you? You're going to be sick in the morning. You're going to be miserable. You're going to wake up to somebody next to somebody you don't even know. My mama ruined me because that will never happen in my life. Come on, somebody. And even if your kids get involved in sin. Even if they enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, there's something inside of them that's been put there. The Bible says, train up your child in the way that he or she should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from the truth. That doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. That doesn't mean they won't ever slip or backslide. But what it means is there's always going to be something down on the inside that ruins their chances of being comfortable in this world. Come on, anybody want to ruin their kids? <laughs> Hallelujah. From ever being a good Egyptian, I want to ruin my kid to the world. You're looking at somebody who was ruined to this world. Amen. See, contrary to popular belief, I was not a picture-perfect child. Or even a picture-perfect teenager. I'm so thankful that the Lord blessed me in many ways. That I... Never have yet. I never have one time smoked a cigarette. That cool or what? I never smoked any of that wacky tobacco either. I never had any alcohol. And see, I'm not bragging. I hope you don't get that point because it's not me. I was ruined. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I, I never I never tasted of alcohol. When my wife and I were married, I was pure, sexually pure. First time. And uh, and let, let me tell you something. That's not for a lack of opportunity to engage in the things of this world. And it's not for a lack of being a normal human and desiring things from time to time like acceptance and popularity. Come on, somebody. I don't care how good you are, how much you try to shelter your kids. At some point, they're going to have an opportunity. And you better have put something into them. And it's not just what you say. They better have watched some things being modeled in your life. They better have had some convictions put into their heart. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you the truth. But I was, my mom ruined me. Every time I start listening to rock and roll music, and start grooving with beat. And uh, back in the day when Bon Jovi with their big hair was popular and I was wanted dead or alive. Wow, wow, wow. And I was listening to it, and I was like, hey, this is cool. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I can't listen to this junk. I can't listen to this junk because I remember my mom. I remember my mom. I told this story here here before. She found a tape of rock music in my brother's room, that hard rocking stuff, you know. And and she took this tape, and she put it between the handles of a scissors, took hold of the blades, and said, come here, boys. I want to show you something. I think my mama was probably kind of like Jochebed, maybe. Was. And she said, this is what I think of this rock music. And this is what it will do to your brain and to your life. And busted the tape all into pieces. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about parents that ruined me. 
And when I got invited to my first party in eighth grade when I moved to Tennessee and I was the most popular kid in the school because I was the new kid and they invited me to the party and I said, do I want to go to the party? I said, I can't go to no party. I'm not going to know what to do there. I'm not going to fit in there. I've been ruined. When I had opportunities, when I had opportunities in my life to become involved in relationships that would have been destructive and date women that were shady, There was something inside of me, my mama's voice echoing in my ears. Hallelujah. I said, you don't date somebody unless they're the kind of woman you want to marry and raise your kids. Hallelujah. See, I was ruined. Every time I tried, it's like, this don't work. This doesn't fit. I can't even do it. And there are people that I grew up with in the church. And I watched some of them as they even got involved in sin, even when as far as struggling with alcoholism, there was something in them. They never really fit in with the world. Even though they were doing all the things that, even though they were looking the part and acting the part and talking the part, they had been ruined. They could never make a good sinner. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. Even though your kids may not live perfect lives, even though they may stumble and fall, Put something in them that ruins them from ever being a part of this world and ever being a good sinner. Clap your hands to the Lord if you believe what I'm saying right now. Unfortunately, some people in the church enable and encourage the problems. They glorify the world, glorify sin, and glorify compromise until they have unwittingly equipped their kids for Egypt. Come on, Satan has oppressed our loved ones and wants to destroy this generation of young people. How many new babies do we have in life, church? In the last six years, how many new babies has God given to this church? Here's one pastor that's going to stand up and say, Parents, uh, parents, listen to what I say. Hey, if you haven't been through the class, go through the class and growing kids God's way. You can't just say, Well, I'm going to let the church raise my kids. Church wasn't designed to raise your kids. You were designed to raise your kids. Uh, you got to put something inside of them that the enemy cannot take from them. You've got to understand. Understand. Ariana, I want you to bring Brianna up here. This is a mother. This is a daughter. This is your child. This is God's child. It's not your child. This is God's child. He gave her to you. You're only going to have her for about 18 years. This is God's child. One day, she'll probably walk down an aisle. You'll give her away in marriage. She'll make her own decisions from that point on. This Everything I have was, was given to me by God. It's not mine, it's God's. He lent it to me. Everything that's in my wallet, it's the same story. Come on, everything in my life was given to me by God. Yeah, I possess it, I own it, I have possession of it now. But the reality is this is God's child. My little girl, that's God's child. He gave her to me with instruction saying, raise her in the way that she ought to go. You only have a little time. You only have a little while to raise your kids. And Ariana, I want you to ruin this child so that she never can get involved in something. So that her life is pure and holy before the Lord in the name of I want you to stretch your hands right now. Uh, find a child around. Stretch your hands uh, toward those child. Say, I want that child ruined. I want that child ruined to this world so that they never, never, never will be comfortable. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Come to think of it, Ariana, you might have got ruined yourself. 
Tell the kids. Tell the kids your story of what God's done for you. Tell them about how you escaped the world. Don't brag about how bad you used to be. I was a bad man. Boy, I could drink, son. Don't brag about that. Tell them about what God's done for you and how you escaped the world. Because there will come a moment of truth in every one of their young lives that they will either join this world and inflict pain and suffering on others and get involved in sin or they're going to fight against injustice and evil. Amen? Praise God. This child that you have is a child of God. And I can imagine just on Abraham's mind, remember the story of Abraham as he laid Isaac on the altar. He was saying, in effect, Lord, this young boy belongs to you. It's not my child. You do with him as you please. He's yours. And there's coming a day when your child will probably walk down the aisle. The high school band will be playing pomp and circumstance. You'll be hugging and crying. They'll be hugging and crying. And at that point, whatever you taught that child by example. See, Tamara, we've only got 12 years left. She walks down the aisle of graduation into her life. Whatever I've taught her by example is what they will take with them into the world. Cambria doesn't belong to us. She belongs to the Lord. They're a precious gift. They're on loan to me. Psalms 127.3 says, Your children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is your reward. If I lose, if you lose one child to truth, it's not just a child. It becomes a family lost to the truth. Not many generations, a whole community of unbelievers is alive with no memory verses tucked away in their heart. No godly example to chart their course because every child is important. Every child. Praise the Lord. You can't fool your child about your faith. Amen. It's your own attendance at Sunday school and worship, your own participation in the life and mission of the church by the effort that you put forth in deepening your own relationship with God that determines what lessons about the Lord and the church that your children learn. See, come on, I'm going to use a crude example here. But but have you, you've seen it before. You've seen it before. Come here, boy. I'm going to tell you something. I can make fun of Hicks because I, I used to be. Tell you something about smoking. It ain't no good. It'll kill you, boy. I better never catch you with a cigarette. I heard that. You've seen that before. It's called hypocrisy and it doesn't work. You, you can't tell them one thing and do another and expect them to do what you say and not do what you do. Here's my favorite one. You don't hit. <laughs> See, they do what you do, not what you say. And so your faith has to be lived out before them. Not what you tell them. If you want your kids, for your kids, that living for God is to be more than just something they do on the weekend, you're going to have to 
take living for God and put it in your home. Have times of prayer in your home with your kids. Have times where you read with your kids Christian books. Talk to them about the things of God. Don't leave it up to the weekend service when they come to church. You've got to do it in your home. Come on now. Parents can never fool their kids in a message as I said, do as I say, not as I do. Kids are too smart for that. If you tell them that church is important, but you're not faithful to church, you haven't fooled them. You fooled yourself. Amen? If you tell your children not to swear, but then you stick them in front of a video screen or a TV screen and let them watch something that's filled with swearing, you're the one that's fooled. Your kids aren't fooled. If you tell your children that they should obey your authority and then you turn around and badmouth your boss or badmouth your pastor or badmouth someone in the church, you're the one that's fooled. If you tell them that a personal relationship with the Lord is important, but they have never seen you open your Bible, they've never seen you pray, they're not fooled. You're the one that's fooled. Our world has underestimated the significance of passing on a godly heritage in the home. I'm your pastor, but I can't give it to your kids. I cannot give your kids a godly heritage. Brother Steele and Sister Steele, they're fantastic youth leaders, but they cannot give it to the teenagers. Faith is not something that we can give or inherit. Our kids have to be exposed to it in the everyday life if they're going to truly value it. God has entrusted us with the most precious gift of God's creation. Children, mothers, I want you to be like a Jacobin. I want you to put something in those kids that cannot be driven out of them with a sledgehammer. Parenthood is your highest calling. And the little lives within your influence will reflect your future, uh, your virtue and your character. See what Jochebed did for Moses, and I'm, I'm drawing to a close here. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach all day. I'm hungry too. She instilled a respect in Moses for the things of God. It's about priorities. About priorities. How many of you know who Brother Elms is that pastors the United Pentecostal Church in Eagle Rock? What a great man of God. He's a district secretary of um, of um, the uh, uh, Southern California district. Did you know, I don't know if you know, but um, Brother Elms has three brothers. And every one of them are men of God. Did you know that? One of them is the district superintendent. North Carolina District of the United Pentecostal Church. Another one is the district secretary of the Texas District of the United Pentecostal Church. Another one pastor of the great church in Wichita Falls, Texas. All of them are great men of God. And I talked to Brother Elms this morning because I had heard some things about his mom. His mom had the spirit of Jochebed. She was a woman who put the things of God priority number one in her life. And the godly heritage is now not just children and grandchildren, but churches that have been planted and churches that have been planted off of churches that have been planted. I wonder, just let me do a show of hands. Some of you are in this place today that uh, were brought to the Lord to receive the Holy Ghost in uh, uh, one of Brother Elm's Spanish churches years ago. Raise your hand if you've ever, just, just stand up real quick. Stand up real quick. Hey, here's, here's just a few. That uh, and you and you may be seated. I think Sister Veronica went there for a while as well, was impacted. D- can you imagine all the lives in the family that can trace back to a mother, Sister Elms, who was a godly woman? I'm not talking about just her four boys that are 
world changers, but I'm talking about hundreds, even thousands of people who have been influenced for the gospel because there was a mother who said, we're going to church no matter what's happening. We're going to church no matter what's taking place. It's the priority in our life. It's number one. That's what I remember. That's what happened in my life when I was a kid. It was the things of God first. It was the priority of the things of God in our lives. And those are the things that ruin you. Amen. And I remember, I'll I'll use their names. Maybe they'll hear it on the tape or on the internet. But uh, Brother and Sister Preston, Don and Elizabeth. Brother and Sister Hampton, Charles and Alice. These were parents that went to the church that I grew up in. Charles and Alice, Don and Elizabeth. You know what? They were the kind of people that were like the backbone of the church. You know what I'm talking about? They were there every time the doors were open. You could count on them. They never missed church. They brought their kids to church even when their kids are just sitting there, look like they weren't getting anything out of it because they were little. You know, preaching was going over their head. And uh, they probably spent so much energy getting the kids dressed and ready for church. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you, you drag them out, you put them in the car, you have you drive to church, you get them here, you plop in a seat. They play with cars the whole time. Didn't hear a word the preacher said. And you're like, that was a waste. It wasn't a waste. You're bending the tree. You're putting something into their heart. Amen? Hallelujah. And I watched other parents that were good people that loved God, but they didn't put that priority like those that were the backbone of the church. Many of those same people, I don't know where their kids are today. But Don and Elizabeth, their two boys, Clark and and Blair, are serving God today. They've had rough times. They've gone through some tough stuff. But they're serving God today. Charles and Alice, three kids, Gerald and Philip. Philip was here last week. Last week. Last week. Timothy. All of them are living for God. Tim had a time where he was the he was the party frat boy, the drunk, no, you know, every everything you can imagine. But you know what? He was ruined. He he was ruined to that. And and he's living for God today, married to a, a godly lady. See, because you put something in your kids by what you do, by being faithful to the house of God, into the kingdom of God and putting a priority on the things of God. And I'm thankful for my parents that they instilled within me a respect for the things of God. And they realized that those early years of childhood are important. Amen. Jochebed was not just a mother, but she was a model. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, Paul says to Timothy, which I saw first in your grandma Lois and then in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that that same sincere faith, that sincere faith without hypocrisy, that genuine faith is in you as well. And parents, you have the privilege of being able to show your children real faith in your life. Hallelujah. Let's stand together right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. We're not going to do a traditional altar call on this Mother's Day, but I wonder if you're near near your family, any family members you're, you're nearby right now. I wonder if you could just get close to them and, and take hold of their hand. We're going to pray real quickly together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.
want to say, I want to, I want to give a shout out to single mothers or mothers that are raising their kids, trying to raise their kids in church, and maybe, maybe dad's like partially involved, not involved. I want to give a shout out to you. Thank God for you, and you can make a difference. You can make a difference. It's not easy, but you can make a difference. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you, first of all, for every child that you've given to Life Church and to the families represented here today in Life Church. I thank you, Jesus. God, we, we recognize that they don't belong to us, but that they belong to you. And they're our most precious resource that you've put in our hands for your purpose. God, I'm praying that you would help us, Lord Jesus, to put in the hearts of these young people and these children, these teenagers, some godly principles, Lord. I pray for every parent that's here, every mother, every father. Specifically, we pray for mothers today that the spirit of Jochebed and the determination and the agenda of Jochebed would get into their spirit. They say, I want to raise some kids that are going to live for God. I'm going to raise some kids that no matter what they go through, no matter what they do, no matter what mistakes they make, there's going to be something in them that cannot be taken out of them. I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray as well for those who have children that are not serving God at this moment. And though they may be considering this with a heavy heart, I pray that you'd give faith and hope to them, Lord Jesus. That not only are the principles that they instilled still in their hearts, but there's power through their prayers, Lord God. We know there's power through the prayer of a mother. There's power through the prayer of a father. And in the name of Jesus, we pray for families, Lord God. Hallelujah. God, help me to be a wise father to my children, a wise husband. Thank you for giving me a virtuous woman. Thank you for giving me a wife, Lord Jesus, with determination to raise her kids in righteousness. Thank you for every family represented here today. And God, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor for all that you've done and all that you've given. And God, we thank you for the future of Life Church. We thank you for the future of every family that's represented here today because by the power of your Spirit, Lord God, and through your anointing, great things are going to happen. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus.
you. Hallelujah. If your mama's here, why don't you just give her a hug and say thank you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. just a moment we're going to dismiss you but beforehand we've got a water baptism in the name of Jesus that's going to happen this is exciting this is awesome and we're going to rejoice with this precious sister she's baptized in the name of the Lord hallelujah she's going to sing this song through one more time and then we're going to uh, watch as somebody goes down in the name of Jesus to have their sins washed away purchased by the blood of Jesus Today we're going to baptize Olivia Chavez in the precious name of Jesus for the remission of all her sins. And I was explaining to her before we did this that today she's got a brand new beginning, a brand new start. Every sin she's ever committed today is going to be washed away. Amen. Praise the Lord. So let's just pray for Olivia. 
she's made an awesome decision. And one more thing I, I had mentioned to her is that you're doing exactly what the Bible says. Amen. Being baptized in the name of Jesus. You're being born again of the water and of the spirit. What an awesome thing. What an awesome thing. So let's pray for Olivia before we put her down in the name of Jesus. Amen.
worthy. Clap your hands one more time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're going to dismiss you in Jesus' name from the house of the Lord. And we want all the mothers to stop by and get a gift before they leave. And while you're going, Sister Jean said she has something that God laid in her heart. She wants to share with you if uh, you want to listen. But you're dismissed in the name of the Lord. God bless you. Just this last week, I have uh, delved into my hobby right now is ancestry. And I've been searching. And uh, I'm from the Hoover side. And as Brother Brown spoke this morning about how that we are an example to our families, I have delved back to the 1500s and the book Martyr's Mirror. I read yesterday, got it in the mail yesterday and read where some of my relatives were crucified or a martyr because they believed and stood for immersion in water baptism and not the sprinkling. That's generation upon generation upon generation upon generation. My mom and dad didn't actually bring me up in this. My dad was in church when he was young. But it was my ancestors. It was my ancestors. So we may not see a direct influence upon that but and you know year after year after year but i wanted to share that with you in the 1500s they stood and even in the 1600s some of my ancestors stood for the truth and they they were asked to denounce what they believed and they wouldn't denounce they says i believe in water baptism I also read there where they believed in the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and I was reading some of the letters of that, how that the Holy Ghost directed. It's, it's awesome. God is good. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. It's nice to see you.